You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Booth Review. Welcome into another episode of Booth Review. Quite an exciting one today. Uh, obviously celebrating a big dub after Kansas beats Oklahoma. I am here with my guy, Brandon McAnderson, BMAC. I'm so excited to see you here. Uh, obviously, I haven't really got to talk to you since the game. I know we were texting a little bit during the game, but I'm, uh, I'm excited you're here, and I'm excited you brought a friend, too. Absolutely. I brought my dog. Derek Fine, the tight end, the great one, the former Buffalo Bill, come on and talk some football. He's got that unique perspective, being a Salisaw, Oklahoma native. He knows a lot about this OU matchup. So I wanted to have an Oklahoma guy talk about the biggest victory in the last two decades over that team uh, just down south of us. Derek, man, welcome to the show, bro. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. I've got all my notes and stuff together. Hey, run through the breakdown. Let's hopefully your whole page of notes has been unloaded uh, on our fan base so they can learn all the things they can learn from you. So I just want to start, you know, the common thing is when you're from a place with a great team, it is this team didn't recruit me, you know, because they have the pick of the litter. They have a national recruiting base. They're one of the great teams. But as an Oklahoma native, it's not that simple, is it? Just describe the, the, the mentality of Oklahoma guys that scrape and earn everything they get and come to a place like Kansas and have a chance to beat the hometown team. And it's different, you know, like in Oklahoma. So it's exactly like you talked about, right? So coming out of Oklahoma, all of us, majority of guys in Oklahoma want to go and play at OU. Majority of us, right? Um, you're going to have some of your OSU outliers, but, um, man, for years and years and years, a lot of, a lot of the kids that go to Oklahoma and OSU are, Texas kids. And right. so the Oklahoma kids get passed over. I think that that's a big detriment to those schools because the kids that are local in the state, that this is just my opinion. I think they play way harder for the team. It means something, right? It yeah. means a lot. So getting passed over by them and then really getting to go in and just kick the crap out of them, dude, it's, it's the best thing in the world. I've been waiting on this since <laughs> 2002. Right. Yeah, man. <laughs> and so it feels good. Here, here's a good analogy to, to look at it, right? So basketball was invented here in Kansas. Yeah. So people love basketball here. So football in Oklahoma is similar to Kansas basketball here, right? People, OU football fans, love OU. They die. They bleed red. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, that's how they feel about it there. That's how we felt about it. So Absolutely. to be able to get that win over, man, a perennial program is, is killer. It's killer. And tell me about somebody like I know that you love. I know that uh, Kent and I have started a our own individual Daniel Highshaw fan base. But describe what it's like <laughs> seeing a guy right near Norman, a guy that's from the area, really punish them in the run game and finish in the end zone. Describe what it's like that not just a Jayhawk got through, but an Oklahoma Jayhawk is in there creating havoc for the Sooners. Dude, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. I'm freaking out every time he's carrying the ball because <laughs> somebody in the mouth. He plays football the way that I play football. Yeah. Like, that's the way that I think that you're supposed to play the game. That was how I played the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
you know, he's got that finesse, but he's also going to bash you in the mouth. Yeah. Right. And man, having a guy on our team like that and watching him just truck guys, put his hand right in their face and just throw them down. It, it's the most glorious thing in the entire world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I did see you down in the lock in the uh, stadium during the rain delay. And we had a little conversations about what we were going to see. We actually discussed meeting on the field once we were able to rush the field. But describe what you were going through as a fan. There were a lot of ups and downs in this game. I think that's the takeaway that I have the most is that, you know, we didn't play an eight-plus game. I don't even think we played an A-minus game and ended up getting the biggest the biggest win in two decades. What What was it like for you from your perspective seeing them make mistakes, recover, make mistakes, recover, find a way to keep pushing the ball forward and finish the game? I, th- I think that it's program builder. You know what I mean? Um for me, watch them. I, the the word that comes to mind for me is gritty. They're yeah. a gritty, stinking team, and they're building the program to be able to last for many years after this. Um, those are the things that I see. Right, that's what I'm thinking about. Is here, what? How long is this program going to continue to last and be able to compete at a high level? And that's what these kids are implementing. The same way that we were doing that back in '03 um, and get getting smashed back then. Yeah. Um, I, I see it as a program building moment in kids that are building the program because it matters to them, right? They don't quit. They're playing through the whole game. Here's something that that I was looking at. On that first interception, whenever you watch the highlight, you see him run into the end zone, but one of the other uh, defensive guys, he's blocking, and he slams the quarterback down to the ground. So it's the extra effort. Right. That's what I see in this win. And what are, what I see in terms of like character, right? I mean, big time character with his team, and to be able to prolong this and leave something, leave a legacy. That's what I see with it. I think it's amazing. Absolutely, man. I, I'm right. with you all the way. Seeing them come up and beat an OU team that we came close a couple times. You know, we had we had some opportunities that we couldn't finish. Um, mm-hmm. but to see them actually get over the hump, and not just get over the hump, but what it means for the team now. You know, like what I like about this team is that every time they reach a plateau. It's almost like watching your child, you know, yeah. like your kid learns to tie their shoes. You're like, okay, I see. Or they learn their interpersonal skills. You're like, oh, okay, good. And watching this KU football team, it's been like that. The win yeah. against Texas was the first plateau. Then they yeah. transitioned in the second year. How are they going to play with expectations? Boom, they're 5-0. and They finish in the bowl game. They're down 20. They fight back and finish and get the game to overtime. And it's just all these little plateaus. And this was the next one. And it was more than a plateau. It was a leap. Was there a moment in your career where we had made that leap? And what was, was, did it make the next step harder or easier? I know, in my opinion, that next step was harder once you got to the plateau that got you a little higher as a team. Yeah. I think for us, it probably would have been 2006. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, 2006, we're that close to having one loss. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think, I think Mizzou, Mizzou was probably the only game that I really felt, hey, we, we got this handed to us pretty good. Um, OSU, we were up by 21. I think that 2006, you know, at the end of the season, when we saw what, what we could have done, right? How close we were and how far we had come from just bad offenses, bad defenses, all those different pieces. And then seeing it in 2006 really kind of come together. Because, I mean, if we have the ball bounce here and there, bounce our way in some of those games, we're a one or two loss team. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew it, right? Um, 
I think it was harder getting past that plateau and be able to get over that mountain um, because we had to do the work. And so that took everybody, right? It took everybody. And we were a character team um, and we rested on our character, but we had to put everybody together to be accountable all at the same time. And so we're doing extra seven on seven. Everybody, Nobody's missing workouts, right? We were a character team that put it together. 2006 was my moment. And I think that everybody saw that and then put it together in that summer and then through winter ball in 2007. So uh, we created the legacy from there. Absolutely. Now, one of my favorite things about this offense is the tight ends. They make us so multiple. We move guys, we motion, we shift. It might be the most fun offense to play tight end in the country. Now, describe to me, like, which guy, which which part do you look – I know you'd want to play them all because they do so much cool stuff. But when you look at it, what what do you take away from that tight end room and what they do with them, and how fun is it to play in all these different scenarios and different functions as the same player? Man, I think it's awesome. I think it'd be a blast. Um, so I, I was watching those guys a lot more in detail today, mm-hmm. right, and just kind of seeing what they were doing, if they had different strengths or weaknesses or what they were kind of having them do. Um I digress a little bit there, but I I think that what they're doing with the tight ends is incredible because they're moving them all over the field. They're moving them into the backfield. They're lead blocking. The the thing that would be fun for them, in my opinion, they're creating awesome matchups for them, both in the run game and the pass game, right? So you got big fellas. Majority of the time, at least in the OU game, they're, they're blocking corners and safeties, mm-hmm. right? Now, they're putting them in a good position to be able to block those guys. Why not put your big guy, one of these small guys, and be able to run the ball that way, put them in a better matchup versus a linebacker or something like that? I didn't get that pleasure, right? right. So uh, I think for them, it, it put they continue to put them in good spots to be able to succeed, right? And so then also whenever they're doing all that shifting and moving around, your defense has got to wait. They got to pause. They got to be patient, and they got to think. Right. Versus if you don't have those shifts, some of those guys just line up and just fire off and go. Absolutely. Right. So I think it holds them off. It creates better matchups. If you're a tight end in this country, this is the place that you want to be. I, any skill position for that matter. Right. Running back, receiver. This is a fun offense. You're going to move around. You're going to do a lot of things. But then with the tight ends, probably the best thing for them with all the different matchups that they're creating and different places they line up in the backfield, splitting out, got their hand in the dirt, the NFL is looking at that. And if you can do all of those things, that's going to create a much, much more desirable player for that for that business league. Seriously, that's awesome. I'll, I'll tell you, I know there's a lot of interest in the KU tight ends, the H-backs right now. Uh, you know, Mason Fairchild, I know is, is, you know, highly regarded by some people in the league and Jared Casey. I just saw someone rank him as one of their top H backs in the, in the, in their NFL rankings as well. So they are definitely getting a lot of love right now, uh, in, in the, in the NFL space as well, from a prospect perspective, people really like Mason. I, I know Mason Fairchild has got some fans. You said it's fun for a tight end skill player to, to play in this, in this offense. I mean the the O linemen are getting a shift in motion. <laughs> like yeah. like we got Dom we Dom Pooney's flexed out, and then he's he's like I mean, we just you, you're getting fun with splits, you're getting fun with all kinds of stuff. Everyone's getting to get involved in 
and contributing to some of the to the to the pre-snap stuff. It's kind of fun to watch for sure. No doubt. If you see like what they're capable of doing, how do you see their skill sets transferring onto the NFL field, knowing that that you went through it and you know you had to go through those struggles as a young player um, and, and find your fits? How do you feel about these guys projecting as a league as guys that can last and and maybe find some staying power? Yeah. Um, so with Casey, I honestly I just I just don't know. I don't know as much on on the H back spot, right? And uh, he's one of those guys that's going to just take the right offense. He can find the right offense and be in the right place. That's going to be everything for him versus another offense where they, you know, if they just bring him in to be another body, be another fullback or something, that's that's not going to be for him. Um, Mason is very solid. Not that not that not the case. He's not. Um, Mason's very solid, man. Um, I think that his skill set translates to the league very, very well. Very well. He's got good footwork. Um, I think that that's really a good result of or a, a good indicator of really, really good coaching. He's always got a good base. He generally has his hands inside. Now he's not. He's not a killer, right? I mean, he's not. He's not a head hunter. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's not what I see with right. him doing, but he's already using his footwork the way that the NFL asks you to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's still like getting his leverage and saying, "All right, here's your running lane to the running back." Once you get into the league, everything's just square, right? So they tell you in the league, "Here, just stay square. You let the running back run where he wants to go. Don't tell him where to go. We pay him a shitload more money than we do you, so you go let him run wherever he needs to wants to go, right?" And Mason already has just kind of a natural knack for doing that and being square on guys and being able to get in front of them. And if you watch guys in the NFL, not a lot of those guys are killers. Right. But they can stay in front. As long as they can stay in front and they can stay square, they've got good footwork and then good hands, that's really all that they're asking them to do. Let the running back do what, what he needs to do. But everything else with Mason, good footwork, good technique. He's got good speed. You can tell he's got good speed. Hey, he's a big dude, man. Yeah, he's I a like big guy. Yeah, that's what I liked about him too. Was that his uh, his inline blocking was just? I like how he can use his weight to lean on people, and I yeah. like he has the speed enough to leak out and really be a threat down the middle of the field. You know, he's not a yeah. guy that does a ton run after the catch, but what he does is it fits fits in these schemes well as a runner. Sneaks out with good technique. Is a hands catcher. You know, he can catch yeah. those routes those those contested option route catches um i love what he's been doing and man cardell uh what his length and ability he's somebody that i think is just scraping about this much of his ability so even those guys that are even on the back end of that they just have so much talent there and i've had so much fun watching them get after it man just give me some final thoughts on uh on on this ou win and what you see as the ceiling for this team yeah that's a really good question i don't know what the ceiling could be i mean I think the ceiling's winning out. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's a realistic thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer it. I think I think for them, if they can win out, or at least win, I don't know, to, if they can get to eight wins, if they can get to eight wins, That that's a big step, man. That's yes, a big step in the right direction. They've got to win over OU. Um those things really, really matter. Here's one thing I was thinking about too, just off the top of my head. 
so after the game, right? Obviously, I'm blowing up Facebook because the majority of people I know are all in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm trolling, doing my thing. But I was going through and I was looking at some of the different comments, the different posts from some of the other, you know, OU Homer people. And uh, one of the guys had said something about KU, good win. You guys are half as talented, uh, but we got out coached and outplayed today. Uh, I don't think that that's really the case anymore. No, it's not. Right? <laughs> um, that was maybe the case a long time ago. We now, through the portal, which I think is a really good thing, it helps, helps teams with a good coach be able to rebuild a lot faster. We are no longer outmanned right. that big by some of these other teams, right? And so we're far more competitive. Um, and I think that any team that we're going to play against, we're going to be able to compete. Almost JD plays, nothing against Bean. Um, JD plays against Texas. That might be another KU win. Mm-hmm. Beat OU, had opportunities to still beat OSU. I mean, realistically, this team is really, really close to being undefeated. Yeah. So if they can win out or at least win two and get up to eight wins, we've got the guys. We definitely got the coach. We got the guys to be able to build upon that for next year and be able to set a new ceiling and then see where we go from there. This new Big 12, this new Big 12 next year, who knows? Maybe they run the table. Maybe they don't. Right. For sure. Well, Derek, man, it was great talking to you, my friend. I, I was really excited to hear from you. You're a guy I got to watch back in the day. Uh, Many I mean, we were actually a little bit, slight overlap. You know, I was in college while you guys were in college too, but barely. But uh, yeah, man, it was it was great talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on and, and talking a little bit of us about all kinds of stuff, tight ends, KUOU. It's been great. No, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. I like being the guest. Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome, Dick. Well, we appreciate you, man. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thanks to a KU legend, Derek Fine. I enjoyed watching him play back in the day. I'm not trying to age BMAC. I mean, BMAC, we kind of like we crossover very slimly. Like you would have been a redshirt senior when I was like a freshman in college. So like we're right there, but it was yeah. great to hear from from Derek Fine as well. Uh, and we're wearing home field apparel. We're rocking it as always. Just a reminder, promo code no seats 23 gets you uh, a discount on all the home field apparel that's available. And they've got some great stuff for KU football season, which is going to be going into January because Kansas is going bowling and for all your basketball needs as well. BMAC, I saw videos of you vibing on the sidelines. I saw videos of you dancing. Uh, how uh how was it being on the on the sideline for that game? Man, you know, it was it was the best worst time I've ever had. It was the worst time because it was a very cold and rainy. Um and I yeah. just trusted the weatherman with my full heart. I did not bring a rain jacket or rain pants. So um I had soggy pants for most of the game. So that part was not great. However, I will say the the vibe on the sideline, the feeling, and you know, I watched the game. We watched the game the same way. I'm looking for little details about what, little indicators about what's happening in the game. And regardless of what the score said, outside to me, it said Kansas has an advantage on defense against Oklahoma skill players. So I really thought like it was really just a matter of time before we could win the game because they couldn't do anything but run the football. And once Brian Borland went to that man free and started sneaking Kenny in the box, that was it. They they didn't have any answers for that. And that's a big statement. You know, like we had talked about before about this thing about when you win, it's an upset usually. But we've seen Kansas match up with OU and Texas, and their frontline talent is very comparable to OU and Texas's frontline talent, which if you would have told me that three years ago, I would have said, eh, I don't know if that's ever in the cards. And that's what's mm. that's what's amazing about that about the performance in that game. And I may be in the minority, but I didn't think that Kansas played an A plus game. I don't think that was even near what Bean was against Oklahoma State. You know, I thought Devin Neal had probably my favorite game I've ever seen him play. And I thought the offensive line was pretty effective, but it wasn't a great game. You know, they made mistakes. They had the turnover, they had three turnovers, overcame all of them. I just thought it was a gritty win. I thought it said a lot about where the team is. I thought it said a lot about what's coming in the future. This is a team that's going to be sticking around for a while. There's so many themes within that game, and it's like, you know, they start hot, which, you know, it's like that's a positive indicator for this, you know, where this program is, coming out of the bye, coming out of, you know, all that. And then they have the little mini meltdown, little stretch where Oklahoma gets them. They fumble the football, give up easy possessions. They, they, they lose the lead, and you, it deflates, right? It deflates some people, deflates some energy for some people. And a lot of the social media, I don't know if you, you weren't on the social maybe during the game, but it was, you know, a little bit of, ah, here we go. And you, 
like people on Twitter, you might be saying that those kids aren't in that program. No. That that's that's the difference between the past and now is because the response was incredible in the second half. KU was flat out better than OU in the second half. It's inarguable. I mean, obviously they put up more points than them. They were trailing at the half, come out, go out, you know, despite, hey, you want to know something? Despite, oh, they overcome the adversity of the last possession settling for a field goal. You know, like that, they, they, you know, they missed opportunity in the back of the end zones for, for being, they have to kick a field goal, they're down four. But the second half, they were just better. They're just a better football team. They were they 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 made some great schematic adjustments. I actually thought it kind of seemed to me like you know you're talking about playing man free and stuff, but also schematically from the front, like it felt like they were almost playing a little bit more more uh, a little more two gap, a little more gap and a half almost. Really really intentional. Like they weren't playing upfield. Like I, and I don't think they really played all that much upfield anyway this entire game, but it felt like they were a lot better playing kind of just you know holding point up front and letting those backers kind of flow and make some plays kind of felt like that defensive line I think gets a lot of credits it was it was dirty work but I thought that they did a really good job just kind of kind of playing and holding the point in the middle of the field too because it didn't feel like they were really trying to get upfield as much as they have in some of these other games yeah I thought the interior d-line was excellent especially when they had to close out the game and get those additional stops after the uh, after the bean turnover on the screen pass, they got that ball at the plus 38, and they ended at the plus 40. Mm-hmm. So they ended up with consecutive tackles for loss on first and second down, got an additional stop on third down. It had a lot to do with just what you mentioned, those interior D-line, occupying those offense, those guards, those interior guys, and letting guys like Cornell Wheeler, guys like Kenny Logan get up and make plays. I thought the defense responded when they needed to. And I overall thought they played pretty well, you know, given the circumstances. Some of that tackling stuff kind of reared its head in that big second quarter, you know, where Walker kind of had his way. It was mostly a product of missed tackles. And that's been the bugaboo for Kansas when they struggle on defense, they don't tackle. Um, So they were even able to overcome that. So it was nice to see them face some adversity and kind of use their depth to find answers and that's the beautiful part about what they're doing on defense this year is that they do have answers. They do have counters. They do have different position players they can play. They do have, you know, my favorite as a as a Tommy Dunn truther is when they roll out Tommy Dunn and Devin Phillips, I get so happy because I'm thinking, what do you do with this group, especially considering how well they run the line? You know, they ran that two-point conversion um, where they ran the reverse. Tommy Dunn made that. You know, from as an interior lineman, scrapes all the way across the formation and makes a tackle. I love when those two are out there just because they had that ability to occupy, like you said, and have enough athleticism to to do some things there in the right matchups. I thought K. Logan had one of his best games as well, you know, filling in and playing the run. I think that was one of the better Kenny Logie games that we've seen. Um, I was just really impressed with with the defense and um I thought they they played great. Yeah, they challenged. Like, you know, BMAC I'll, I'll, I'll say like big, big themes, right? Like when I look at this game, you know, and I talk about this game, you know, I said, you know, Hey, you know, try to run the ball, ball control, trying to manage that. And, you know, they just went after them. They weren't, you know, like, I think it, it wasn't as much like, you know, I, I try, I, my, my whole thought was like, you know, to try to beat a team of, of Oklahoma's caliber, you might have to change some things. They just played yeah. both sides of the ball. They played their game and I'm done I'm done with 
uh, run the ball a little bit more, just take the ball out of beans. Hand. No, just go play. Go yeah. play. I'm 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 out of that me- I'm out of that mentality. I've been on that in a couple of these big games. I'm just like, just go play football because this team is a good football team that can just they can they can line up and play with teams. And I've taken that for granted a little bit. You know, my whole thought is like you might have to change some things up a little bit when you're playing. No, nah. nope, not anymore. Sorry, no. It, you don't have to be ball control if you don't want to. You don't have to run the football. 70% of the time if you don't want to. You can sling it if you want. You can run it with you want. You're just going to line up and play because you're a good football team. And it, that's that's the facts. And you talk about them like mixing some things up defensively. They challenged OU. And they said, try to throw it, Heisman winner. Right. You know, try to try to deal with some adverse weather conditions. High, or Heisman candidate, you know? And I just... Such an impressive performance from this team. And just this culture... And the the, I think one of the big things I talked about this. I went live right after the game just because we had to celebrate, right? But um, you know, I I just like the way that um, the it's just the lack of fear. I think it's just they just they go out and they just go they just go play, right. and it's it's uh, it speaks to the culture. It speaks to um, you know how they've grown as a as a program and i think there's a lot of pain that you know some people feel from the past and watching this team just go out and i don't know just execute the way they did against a really good football team i'm just uh, it's it's so impressive how far they this group has come i'm i'm so impressed yeah there was a lot of exercising of football demons in that game not just (laughs) players on the field uh not just for this regime but a lot for the fan base, seeing a team that's been close and that has been knocking on the door but couldn't quite get the break that would get them over the hump. Um, you know, Bean is a guy that, you know, late in games, his uh, morale wavers. Um, but what's interesting is when you ask the other players, they're just like, oh, it's just Jason. It's just Jason being Jason. And Jason delivered. And I don't want to hear another thing about Jason Bean because this guy continues to step in, like you mentioned. You're thinking we're they're going to have to call a certain game plan. I've said those exact words as as recent as three weeks ago, and it's not it's not me being wrong. It's them proving me wrong, which is what I really enjoy is that Jason has achieved at a level that I'm wrong, and I will parade around my wrongness in in support of what Jason has done as a developmental player. Think about this: he ends up with the screen pass, which was a great call, by the way. Because uh, they had two guys off the edge, that might have been a touchdown. Yeah, uh, that defensive end didn't read it. Great call. You know, Bean had to, to chuck it and get rid of it. You'd like to see him do something different, but it ended up an interception. So, how does he answer that interception? He, you know, he gets the dump off to uh, Devin Neal on the play action pass. He finds him on the left side. He gets ten yards. He finds Mason. He runs, scrambles. He gets fifteen yards. He mm-hmm. finds Mason Fairchild down the right sideline, and then you start to see them around. You start to see him dip a little bit. He gets a little pressure, throws into coverage. You know, gets uh, you know, looks at uh, you know, Lawrence Arnold down the seam, or it might have been Luke Grimm. He throws behind him. You know, then you're thinking, oh no. But what's Bean thinking? Bean's thinking, I got this. He ends up on fourth and six. He starts out looking to the left at his number one receiver to the left, which was either Grimm or Quentin Skinner. He scrans back across the middle field. Fairchild's not available. Lawrence Arnold is. This guy went through every progression on fourth and six. He did not get happy feet. He did not. Over, he did not overreact. He did not lean on his speed 
He leaned on his skill and his development and found Lawrence Arnold. Lawrence Arnold finished the game. What I loved about that most is if you look at OU's evaluation of this loss, Brent Venables was like, yo, man, I wish I had took a time out there. That was my bad. And nothing against Brent Venables. But when teams, when a team like OU loses and they think they're supposed to win, they will find some mistake that they made that they could say, hey, that's on us. Brent Venables, that wasn't on you. And that was all Jason Bean and his development as a player and his patience and growth as a player, finding Lawrence Arnold, finishing the game and putting the Jayhawks over the top. Yeah, that fourth and six, I, it's that fourth and six, I think, is emblematic of a bigger theme. You know, I, I'm talking themes today, I guess. This team needed to learn to win close games. And it's not that they haven't won close games. Believe me, like we've seen them win a couple in the last year. This was different. The gravity felt different. Um, and responding from mistakes, I think, in, in winning a game when you made some mistakes where, you know, you gave up the lead and responding in that kind of way. That's what really impressed me about what this program did. And Jason Bean, like, is emblematic of some of the stuff we've seen with Jason Bean. Jason Bean wasn't perfect. He missed some opportunities. He left some throws on the field that he's definitely going to want back but he kept firing and like you said in the biggest moment he worked through fourth and six finds his guy and so yeah maybe he made some mistakes but he didn't let those come back and hurt him he continued to push through he continued to fight and yeah that's really impressive from from jason Bean and what he was able to do in that game ton of respect for him I'm really excited to see, you know, how he and this program responds in this game against Iowa State. I do want to ask you a few questions about Iowa State, but um, before anything else from that from that OU game that you want to talk about, BMAC, before we move on. Well, it is me, Brandon McAnderson. I played running back, so I want to talk about running backs. Uh, I just want to start with Highshaw. I thought he set the tone with his physicality and speed. He had a moxie to him that looked a little different. He looked like it was personal, and you could kind of tell that early on. I thought he played with a, a different kind of moxie. And then I also want to highlight Devin. I thought Devin was – that was a, my favorite Devin game, mostly because of his open field running. And his open field running for the purpose of getting four yards might have been the difference in the game. You usually don't see backs juke people – the way that he was in the open field and end up with three to five yard carries. It wasn't like these results were 12, 15, 18, like we're used to seeing from him. I thought it was such a gritty performance. And I know it's a Halloween theme. We're talking about themes. Jared Koenig's going to see him in his nightmares because he, I mean, <laughs> he had him in a blender multiple times, like where Koenig's unblocked in the hole. And I don't think he touched him. So I just thought Devin's mm -hmm. ability to, use those same kind of skills we've known and seen from him to become a guy that averages seven yards a carry, to use that and grind out a 24 carry, you know, 105, whatever he ended up in that game. I just like the way that he played the game. He was motivated, his ability to wiggle, juke, and still power through and get those hard yardage. I, I thought he was awesome. And blocking. I yeah. mean, watching him block... Watching some of these, I mean, the, the the helping free up Daniel Highshaw, and I mean, I there were so many times in this game, and this is like why when I watch KU football and we talk about names and we talk about you know how long we you know you have this kid or that kid, man, you just watch 
this program and how team oriented the way they block is these receivers. Everyone's getting in on the action. Everyone's committed to doing these little details and executing. And that execution spans recruiting classes if you have the right kids and if you've got the right guys recruiting the right kids. And that's why it's so fun. Like it's just a, the attention to detail from this program is just so impressive and watching the way, you know, the skill players are blocking to help gain extra yards in the run game and watching the running backs block for each other. Special. You know, it's really special. So I I was I was just Devin, you had a great game. I just thought there were so many little individual small performances across the board from this team that were just so impressive. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to Iowa State. Uh, I do because, like, I mean, BMAC, I, I I could talk about that Oklahoma game so much, but I I I, I watched it three times. Uh, <laughs> it's been fun to watch. You know, I mean, I I'm not a fr- I I could sit here like we might have to do like an oral history on that game or something in the off season because like I could relive it and talk through so many different things but um i do want to talk a little bit about iowa state before we get out of here um you know i i some people were kind of surprised that how tight the line was come when it was released and iowa state being favored initially iowa state i know had a rough start to their season but i've been really impressed with them the last few weeks that i've seen them and I think it starts because I they think they finally found consistency at the quarterback position. Rocco Beck, I think, is playing pretty good football. And I think he's kind of helped stabilize that situation enough for them where they're kind of starting to figure some things out as a team. Absolutely. I, I love the way he's playing. I like good growth stories, you know, because you remember at the beginning of this, it was ugly. You know, when they lost Ohio, um, you know, the way that people were communicating about him in the media and saying different things about Matt Campbell blew it, blah, blah, blah. And now look at him, you know, winners is three straight sitting at five and three with a, with a quarterback that's figuring it out and still young and might end up being a really good player down the line. And I think that's a good part if you're an Iowa State guy. And that's a complicated part if you're going up against him. You know, it's a tough place to play. You know, their defense is going to be well coached. They're going to play those big three interior defense linemen and kind of control the action with those five guys that they basically never move. You know, bigger physical guys that they just don't move. And you got to move them to run the ball. So it's always a challenge in there. And then offensively, they have weapons outside and they now have a quarterback that can distribute the ball to them. So those early down RPOs have been to me the thing that's kind of stabilized their passing game. So I think it's it's going to be important for Kansas to kind of use what they've developed over the last two weeks defending RPO to kind of carry them into this game. Because I do think, you know, RPO can be a quarterback's best friend. And for Rocco, that's kind of been the case. Yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, that And it's, 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 it's much of the same, I think, just from a, hey, look, maintain good discipline on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, with your run fits, with your uh, you know, with, with your, you know, assignments, it's going to be really crucial there for sure. Um, you know, their, their defensive front and this, 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 uh, this, I love this defense. I love this defensive structure, you know, the three down spill and kill kind of front that you've just got a lot of athletes flying to the football as you try to, you know, try to, you know, force stuff wide, get stuff down outside to the edge. It's a great scheme. You got a you got a really difficult front. You got to try to navigate with that three down front. KU had mixed bag of results playing against this front last year. Um, feels like they had you know some early success, but then you know things kind of settled in for them. 
I think it's like the, the story for me for this game, I think KU can do enough defensively. For me, the storyline is how does Kansas handle, you know, a, a, a scheme that has admittedly given them some trouble in the past. You know, Andy Coldlake, you talk about this three down front can really give them some problems. How do they navigate it? I think it's going to be a big, I think it's going to be a big key uh, for this game, BMAC. Absolutely. I think what they do is they have those big old linebackers and they kind of, they're just, their ability to to cover space, so they're not just big guys. They're guys that can can run sideline to sideline. You know, they don't miss tackles. They don't have pass drop responsibilities, so they're not fooled by a lot of the the play action and pull and that sort of stuff. They're not big into drops because a lot of times, you know, they've got six DBs out there rotating all over the field. So sometimes they might may not even have a drop. So it kind of keeps them engaged on the run game. Um, and what we saw from Oklahoma State was that C-gap run was very difficult because of how big those guys were playing that five technique. And five technique is a guy on the outside shoulder of the tackle. That gave Kansas a lot of trouble against Oklahoma State. You know, they could not move those guys to make those down blocks and kickouts clean. So I think that's something that they're going to have to address and look at maybe simplifying some aspects of their run game. Um, I thought that's what helped them against Oklahoma State was just running some traditional inside zone. Um, in the one series where Highshaw kind of got going. So it'll be interesting to see, since he's dealt with it to see and seen where it's giving him trouble, I'll be uh, I'll be tuned in to see what kind of ways uh, Coach Kotelniki uh, adjusts some of their run game to kind of prepare for that big down five set. What I liked about what Cincinnati did a couple games ago was Cincinnati ran a lot of quarterback run to get the numbers back in their favor. So a lot of times they would spread out you know, trips to the field or trio to the field and they would run, um, you know, a quarterback lead to the right and the numbers were in their favor. They had six people. I would say that five, you know, so that might be something that Kansas looks at. I wonder if Jason Bean putting that uh, zone read on film will kind of uh, encourage them to get another guy in there, kind of open up some of the passing. And so it's going to be a fun chess match between two strong units. Absolutely. Uh, BMAC, before we got here, I want to get a prediction from you for this game. Uh, what you got this massive opportunity for Kansas to continue to build off of their success uh, and play a really tough Iowa State team at night on the road. What, what say you for this game? I'm going to go uh, 27-21 uh, for the Jayhawks. I think it's a, a game where they can get up in that range and be disruptive enough to, to limit Iowa State on offense. I like that. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think KU's defense is going to play one of their better performances of the year, and they'll slow that that team that's that's having some success recently down. I like it. Uh, let's go twenty one seventeen. I do think it's going to be an uglier football game, similar to what we saw the last time that these two teams played. Um, I think Kansas will find some answers uh, enough to get you know some points. I think KU's actually KU's going to play from the front for the majority of this game too. I think they'll be playing from the front for for the majority of it, and I think this defense is going to put together a really strong performance. Uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Booth Review. Thanks again to our guy Derek Fine for jumping on the show. That's Brandon McAnderson. I'm Ken Swanson. We'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com